1: the day. My bank account might not agree, but hey, that's shit on the way Me and my niggas layin' brick on top of brick till we straight. If you the type that play the victim, you can't come in my space You know this game ain't for the weak, it's hard to carry this weight I keep my balance through the ups and downs, I'm never gon' break You feel the purpose in my spirit when you look in my face Cause this ain't a second I can weigh wait, Some food on place Fumble the bag, I still ain't got that disappointment to shake So now I'm trying to double up on every dollar I make Money don't buy you happiness, the show don't take it away I'm smiling hard as hell, every time I step in the bank We can't be making reckless move Cause there's so much at stake. When you got some shit to lose, your decisions gon' change. Cause every action got a consequence. Consider your ways. Hardest thing to do in life is elevate for your pain. I can't relate to feeling like your life is stuck in a phase. Give an effort, but results just keep remaining the same. Ask some patience with yourself, shit ain't as bad as you claim. I seen the homeless nigga smile while he was standing in rain. This is all about perspective. I'm chillin', catching blessings. And cryptocurrency been bustin', and I'm well invested. Know that if she rockin' me, then she gon' stay protected Cause even when this shit get hectic, I ain't never stressin', I'm leisure. I woke up feelin' wealthy today My bank account might not agree, but ayy, that shit on the way Me and my niggas layin' brick on top of brick till we straight. If you the type that play the victim, you can't come in my space Know this game ain't for the weak, it's hard to carry this weight I keep my balance through the ups and downs, I'm never gon' break You feel the purpose in my spirit when you look in my face Cause it ain't a second I can waste, I'm puttin' food on place Meal
2: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Black Earth Renaissance Podcast. It's your boy, Jalen, man. Feeling good, feeling great. Checking in on another beautiful Saturday from hot-ass Texas. How y'all doing today, fellas?
3: Man, I am doing amazing. You're right. It's hot as hell, but it still feels good in here. It's always good energy, good vibes with the BWR family. I was able to go to this spiritual wellness event this morning. I thought that was pretty dope. It was a nice experience, you know. Recenter, refocus, always important to be in that zone and realizing why you're doing what you're doing.
2: Especially after the crazy weeks we've been having going, just working, working, Nigger. working. I already know. Nigga, <laughs> you already know.
4: <laughs> already but know. Jared, how you doing, my brother? Man, I'm feeling good. I'm doing good, man. Out here in mutually hot-ass Louisiana, but, you know, sprinkling <laughs> in a little- a- Extra <laughs> humid. <laughs> yeah, sprinkling a little humidity with it too, bro. It's a problem out here, man. Walked outside yesterday, felt like I was going to have a heat stroke on spot. But <laughs> either way, ready to get into this episode. Our next guest has like a really interesting entry, something yeah. I really want to get into because not a lot of people, you know, know a whole lot about it, and it led to a really interesting journey with his investing too. So I'm really excited to get into this podcast episode. You want to go ahead and do the honors of introducing our next guest? Oh uh, man, I'm gonna let Jalen do the honors
3: today. But real quick before we do, I want to ask everybody to leave that five star rating and review if you have been listening to the podcast or if you're a new listener. Leave us some feedback. It helps us grow the show and continue to be better. And also, y'all check out our sponsor, Aspire Water. Black on water, pH balance. Good for your mind and body. Yeah. Uh, you can get that with the link in the show notes. Use code BWR10 at checkout for 10% off your first order.
2: Get you some of that, man. Y'all need that for your body. I'm telling you, the should be back, especially in these hot days. Hell yeah. But yeah, we're going to get into this next episode. We're going to get into this next guest. We got a young man hailing out of Baltimore, Maryland, like they were just talking about, you know, he had a very interesting start into how he just got into investing and everything like that. He ended up becoming a professional blackjack player. Yeah. Like, you know, know, sometimes you see see that stuff. Yeah, you see the poker people on TV and stuff. This man played professional blackjack and then he ended up getting into the crypto market getting some big gains, been in the crypto market six since years. like six years. So, you know, been in the space for a while before it become really mainstream. Then you actually ended up flipping some of your wins and your profits into real estate as well. So uh, a lot.
0: really, uh, yeah, like
2: we said, a very interesting start. So welcome on our guest, Mr. Chad Copeland.
0: I appreciate it. I appreciate y'all having me. Thanks. Thank, thank you so
3: much.
5: We
2: thank
3: appreciate you, Chad taking the time to come out and talk to us on this Saturday. I know we had a little technical difficulties before we got started, but yeah. appreciate you sticking around and getting ready to like just share your journey and help some people. Because I always get excited when I get to talk to somebody that's been in the crypto space this long, because like you've seen a couple market cycles now. So I know it's going to be real insightful. But before we get into all that, to kick things off like we always do, we just wanted you to give an introduction to yourself and like what gave you your start, right? Because you started off in school and then you went to be in a professional blackjack player. So like, how the hell yeah, does, I, it how does it even occur? Yeah.
0: yeah, so I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland, born and bred, kind of just skipping to college. I had the choice of playing football or, you know, going to school as, you know, a narc or a regular student. You know, student loans didn't hit me too far over the head. And I know I didn't really love football. So I went to the George Washington University was like a lot of other college kids at the time. Like it was just that pathway was set for me to get good grades, go to college, get a good job. But I didn't know what I wanted to do. And fortunately, I have an older brother. So I've been able to see the moves he's made and kind of navigate my life based on that. And so I became an econ and business administration major. And it's a major I actually wouldn't suggest to anyone, but it does provide a good framework for how to view the world. Mm
5: -hmm.
0: And essentially what happened, how I got started on Blackjack, it was my senior year and it was going into winter break and I was living on campus and had a job. And it was really the first time in my life I was like completely alone for an extended period. And it was that moment where I wanted to think about what I wanted to do. At the time, the mindset was with economics, but you know the saying is we plan and God laughs, one of my roommates basically grew up and he used to like do car trips and stuff, so he was always playing around with cars and while I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing with my life, he calls me and he just asks if I've ever seen the movie twenty one and I had but I never I think looked at it as the lens of From playing professional blackjack but he just basically explained to me he's like hey i think there's a way that we can beat the casino and i think it was a combination of you know coming from an athletic background and not really scratching that athletic itch for almost four years at that time but still being competitive and just the idea of like trying to go up against the casino and so Basically shifted all my plans for the rest of the final semester of my college career. Supposed to go to Jamaica for spring break, cancel that, really just started training on YouTube, mostly and reading books. And then one of the books is called The Blackjack Life, uh, Nathaniel Tilton. Basically, we reached out to him and he was in Boston at the time. And that was where the casinos were playing at during spring break went up to him, met him. And he was the one who basically told us, he streamlined the process for us. It was like, hey, even though they tell you you have to pay attention to this stuff, you really only have to focus on these handful of plays or these handful of decisions because they account for like 90% of the ones that you'll come across. You don't need to worry about this. You don't need to worry about that, how to actually manage your bankroll or your portfolio. I was working a government job at the time. Fast forward to May, I'm graduating. I always joke it was my mother's highlight of her life for me, I guess. And one of the lowest moments, because it was one of those things where it was like, yeah, I'm graduating. I quit my job. I'm playing professional blackjack. which she was not too pleased about. She wasn't particularly <laughs> thrilled about the <it>. choice. She, <laughs> she it. was not thrilled at that at all. But I do look at it as probably the best decision I made in my life. And I do give a little bit of credit, and I might bring them up a few times to my brother because he was never afraid to chase his dreams. And that gave me the opportunity or gave me the courage to kind of chase mine, even though I didn't really know 100% what I wanted to do. I was kind of experimenting, throwing things at the wall. So yeah, that's how I got started at the very least. Appreciate that, man. That part about graduating, that's something I
3: think people don't talk about Hell enough, yeah. that, uh, that feeling of, like, everybody else's post-grad expectations.
0: Post-grad
2: depression, yeah, man. That, that everybody shit's else's real, expectations bro. expectations
3: versus your expectations, and then, like, you finding where you're supposed to be in life with that. So, I'm now, I kind of want to ask you, right, like, you decided that you want to be a professional blackjack player. Like, were you just starting Cold Turkey there? Had you been doing it for a while? Like, how did that education process go for that? Because I know you had to, like, You got to learn how to count the cards or something. I don't understand that process.
0: Yeah. So the funny thing is, that's the easy part. And that's, I think, the difference between professional blackjack player and someone who counts cards, right? Counting cards isn't really difficult, right? It's, uh, I've never done this in podcast format, but it's basically if you imagine an imaginary number line, right? And you have, you know, a certain set of cards that'll come up. So every time you see a two, three, four, five, six, you add a plus one. Right. So if the first two cards dealt out are a two and then a three, right, it's a plus two on that number line. Every time you see a seven, eight, nine, it's a zero. So after that two and three is dealt out, the next card is an eight. The running count is still plus two. And then 10 through ace is a negative one.
4: Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg and cheese
3: McGriddles?
0: And a breakfast cutoff. Ba da ba ba ba. Right? So, if the next card dealt out is a 10, your running count goes back to one. It goes from plus two. You see that 10, it's a negative one, it goes to one. And what you'll notice is that a deck of cards adds up to zero by that system, right? You have five positives, you have five negatives, and you have three zeros, right? And so, When you're actually playing blackjack and they have multiple decks, they might have six decks, they might have two decks, they might have eight decks. When the count goes too far one way or the other, you can make educated guesses or predictions as to what types of cards are likely to come out. And that's just the basis of counting cards. Professional blackjack is more so like you have to have cover, right? It's not illegal to count cards but it's frowned upon, right? Las Vegas is in the business of making money. They're not in the business of losing money. You got to be able to keep the count and understand what plays to make while people are having conversations with you or while talking to the dealer or the distractions around. You have to make certain playing decisions based off of certain counts. So the example I use is there's a basic strategy, which is basically in layman's terms, how you're supposed to play blackjack, right? The basic strategy gives you every possible playing opportunity and the optimal decision to make. But actually at certain counts, that basic strategy isn't technically always the optimal decision. So like, if I have a 12 and the dealer has a four, the basic strategy tells me to stay, like don't take another card. But really, if the count is negative, which is literally a difference between one card and the whole deck, It's in my best interest to actually hit. And there's a handful of plays like that, close to 52, but it gets boiled down to the main ones being about 18 plays where you make those different playing decisions. And then the last part of that is, it's not only that you make different playing decisions, but based off certain counts dictates how much you're supposed to wager. So the big thing about blackjack and how it translates to my investing career is risk management, knowing how much to put on a, any, even in the crypto or stock market, right? There's some plays that you probably have more confidence in, right? Okay, I can allocate maybe a little bit more money to those plays because of that confidence. And I use that in my investing portfolio and some of my strategies.
2: I'm glad that you brought that up because that's definitely one of the things that I wanted to ask you about that. If that kind of helped you whenever you're going through investing in crypto. Because I'm pretty sure those stakes can be high. Have you played in like tournaments in Vegas and stuff like that? What was
0: that like? So no tournaments. The first time we went to Vegas, it was me and my business partner. We went for a drove cost country, went for a month straight. And we were just playing hours upon hours, just hopping from different casinos. Went to Vegas for a month, didn't go out once. We had had investors. It was all about the business. Wait, so y'all
3: had like a business structure set up to go and play back. Wow. Oh, shit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that definitely did help me like learning how to like pitch and Mm -hmm. stuff because most people just think it's gambling. And so like I had Mm -hmm. to, or we had to, excuse me.
2: How do you overcome that objective? Like, cause I didn't even know you could set up a business for this.
0: Yeah. That's okay. So the way I would pitch it, it it's funny, it was at my grab party. It was basically, I would actually have a deck of cards and I'll explain to them what I just explained to you about how to count cards. Mm-hmm. And pretty much what I would do is I would take the smartest person in the room, whoever it was, or sometimes the dumbest person in the room. Right. And I would just count cards with them, but I'd have them count it. I'll show them the system. I'll have them count it. And then I would show that, like, you would take a couple cards out of the deck and I would say, based off your count, what cards can you expect to come out? And they would say that counts negative three And there's three cards left remaining. You know that those three cards have to be positive cards, which are numbers two through six, because one deck adds up to zero. Mm -hmm. They would do that. They would see the cards are what they predicted. And that kind of was what drew them in. Mm -hmm. And then it was just really the work behind it. So we had training guides. We had a whole, it's based off statistics. So standard deviation, how much we will make based off of a certain bankroll. And then the main part of it, to be honest, was the financial incentive, and this was a thing of us being young and dumb. We offered, hey, twenty percent returning your money, right? Which was absurd. We returned people there twenty percent, but it was one of those things. That after a year or two, we definitely take down. Yeah. Just not. We just needed the investments. Really. What's up, y'all?
3: It's your boy David with Blackwell Furniture Songs. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm.
0: The startup capital. Yep, yeah, the startup capital. So, yeah, but did that for about a year and a half. It's late 2015. You get in the casino, the scary thing is you start recognizing people. And that was like, once I started recognizing people, that was kind of in my mind where it was like, all right, I need to start phasing out of this. It mm-hmm. was cool recognizing people when I was back at home in Baltimore, Maryland. When mm-hmm. I started recognizing people or they started recognizing me in Vegas, I was like, yeah, I'm in these casinos too much.
3: Hey, Chad, um, did the casinos like, did they try to do you like
0: on the movie 21? Like they tried to like jam you up behind any of this stuff? No. Again, so the cover is a part of it. Me and my business partner had a good dynamic. I'm 6'4". I look like a football player It was better. Probably way better shape than I am now. I played up to that. So they thought a lot of the times, as messed up as it sounds, oh, this is a dumb football player playing. Mm-hmm. So I could be more loose with my bets. So, for example, most people generally, if they lose a hand or lose in any gambling thing, they don't increase their bet. Although there's sometimes where the count tells us to increase our bet based on the probability. It was a lot easier for me to just increase my bet because Because it looks
2: like you play a good job
0: now my business partner is 5758 glasses white looks intelligent looks smart so he had to be way more by the book as yeah way more calculated than i did so he got it once but it's not like the movies anymore, at least, I don't know, maybe I wasn't playing with enough money where (laughs) they take you to the back and like beat you up. It's just more so like, hey, they'll come down. Like, nah, you can't play here. (laughs) So, you know, that's how it went. On that journey, that's how I got into crypto. It was Mm a bunch of poker players I met. And at the time they were using Bitcoin to online gamble. Mm -hmm. So late 2015, you can only gamble in really Atlantic City, Vegas but they played online poker using Bitcoin and Ethereum. And it interested me. Like It was one of those things where a lot of people were telling me, why don't you play poker? Like If you understand blackjack, you could just play poker. And I never had the interest in taking other people's money. It was like, I wanted to take the casino's money, but it interested me enough to buy some. And then I always tell people I got in lucky. It started going up Kind of in price, and that's when I really was like, okay, let me pay attention to this. Like, what is this thing I have? Because to me, it was just like a Something waste of time. <laughs> yeah. So,
2: so you said this was around
0: 2015, late 2015. I to
2: so, how long did it take for you to really start understanding what Bitcoin and Ethereum and crypto was? What did that education process look like for you?
0: I think I would say like. Early to mid 2017 was when I really started to understand it. I would say the two things that helped me was one coming from blackjack, the volatility didn't feel that new to me, right? Mm-hmm. Playing blackjack, you're going up and down a thousand bucks every session. It's happening in the crypto market. I just I did like I was almost like numb to it, which was a blessing, I guess. You weren't as emotional with seeing the risk tolerance, tolerance was yet. high, yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing that helped me was like I got in at a lucky time where like at a certain point I was just playing with house money.
3: Mm-hmm. What was the price of Bitcoin do you remember
0: at that time? Two thousand fifteen. it might have been around 400 500. It wasn't anything too crazy. But you caught the, lot,
3: the wave up
0: all the way to what it was the first time was it 20? 20,000. Yeah, got out at like 15 five. And then when it went down to three, the best thing I ever did was implement like a dollar cost average strategy. So you said,
3: 2nd <laughs> <one> second.
5: I'm <laughs> you trying, trying to see the return, <laughs> return on that, man.
3: That's crazy, bro. You 400. And you said it was at 15,500. You sold out. I'm trying to see how I get the percentage on this. Allegedly. Road. That's like 38%. No, 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 no. 3800. 3, yeah, I was, yeah, was
5: 3800, 3, bro. God brother. damn.
0: On the way up, I definitely traded and sold some. So it's probably not just like a. it wasn't it definitely wasn't just like, hey, I sold it all at 15. But mm-hmm. at that point, it's all of it's now all house of money, which is a fortunate thing. Yeah.
2: So to see Bitcoin go from just, you know, something where people were gambling online, they were using to survive stuff on Silk Road, all this other stuff that was like kind of had bad connotations. To now seeing it being adopted by major financial El Salvador institutions, Salvador is
3: using it as a, a national. Yeah,
2: like to seeing it become like that full circle. Do you wish that you would have doubled down more on it? Would you sold whenever it hit the fifteen?
0: Of course, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> even, part <laughs> to it, but like everything happens for a reason. Again, I bring up my brother. Fortunately, with proximity to him, I was always like investing, even though I didn't 100% know what I was doing, you know, having access to private equity, having access to real estate opportunities. My big thing was like, and I learned this from economics early on, that savings from a traditional, hey, my grandmother tells me to save my money. Mm -hmm. That for me felt, and I'm trying to be careful with my words, it felt financially illiterate right? Like my money wasn't, you Making know, no money. doing anything. Mm-hmm. And I did some studies on like the rate she was getting when she was growing up. It made sense for her to save. So for me, it was always, and I have a high risk tolerance. It was always like investing is my version of saving. And so I definitely wish I would have doubled down more, but I made some good plays in the space. So I'm happy where <sighs> I'm at for sure.
2: Hey, that's what's nice. Actually- I
4: want to ask, was there a specific point? Because it sounds like when you were first like buying and selling it, it was like chips, you know, just using it almost as currency to, you know, gamble with. Was there a certain point when things changed for you from it being just me buying chips to like being almost like an investment
0: or something that happened, like did the price spike or something? Just through more studying, reading the Bitcoin standard, Bitcoin, Black America, like Bitcoin to me makes it cool to save, like for Mm. someone who was opposed to saving. Like I get why it's important to save for certain things. I'm the person who I hate seeing just extra money sitting around in my account. Bitcoin made it cool for that. It's like it's been returning 200% year over year. I don't expect it to continue that way. But okay, if I can just hold it long term and if I don't need it at all, like that's my savings account. The big moment for me actually was much later on. It was March 24th of 2020. It was just, again, good timing and a dumb decision on my part, looking back that worked out. Mm-hmm. But it was stock market crash, Bitcoin corrected down. I think it was had been around 10K, and it went 10K. to like 3:36. Yeah, something like that. And watching football, I watch uh, 60 minutes, like in between that final game of the night, and it was on March 24th, the Fed chair of Minnesota was on there and I've always been a math person. Like that's why the counting I think came Mm -hmm. easy to me. And I'll never forget. He went up there and I guess the interviewer asked, is there a concern with the lockdowns happening? What's going to happen to our economy? And I don't think he meant to say it, but I think it just kind of diarrhea of the mouth where it was just like, he was like, we have an infinite amount of cash. Like it's not a concern. And like, I heard that the math me was like, okay, any number divided by infinity is zero. Like I took it to the <laughs> extreme. I was like our money. Is is a right money. there. And so what I did, which is again, I wouldn't advise, real stupid. And again, having that backdrop of like, all right, Bitcoin's a savings tool. I don't know what's happening. We're locked down. I put like ninety percent of my liquid cash into crypto. Man. Again, really stupid, super, but I felt- super risky. Yeah, really stupid, super risky, but I knew that like, oh, I'm gonna pay attention to this. Mm -hmm. It's what I'm most familiar with. I play defense first anyway. So like worst case, if I'm wrong, I'll be fine. But I also had in mind that the Bitcoin halving was coming up in that May. Mm
5: -hmm.
0: So Mm -hmm. I figured there'll be at least some, you know, buy the rumor, sell the news type of momentum. Great play, looking back on it dumb, I would never do it again. But that was kind of the real moment where I was like, all right, let me actually take this and really start studying, really start, you know, contributing to the ecosystem. Um, If it wasn't that, to be honest, it was in, I want to say 17 or 18, I had to pitch my brother on Ethereum. So like Bitcoin, he was an econ guy, you know, supply and demand. It's very easy for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I was like, hey, bro, like I got in Bitcoin, but I'm also in Ethereum. And like right now it's like Bitcoin is great, but it's like kind of outperforming it. Like and it from what I've gathered at the time, like it seems like a good investment.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I was like, you know, off the strength of it being my brother. Hey, invest in this. He's like, nah, like I need oh, like a pitch. Why, I need like a, a strong why? <laughs> like, what I, Which I appreciate. That helped me tremendously. So I spent like a couple of weeks and I put together this like five page document just breaking it down and it was just like why like ethereum i'm bullish ethereum and i'm buying anything under four hundred dollars like at the time because it went up to like 800 came down to like three something Mm -hmm. and it's funny because we always look back on it and it's like yeah it's like some of the stuff that i was like this is going to happen didn't happen (laughs) some (laughs) of the stuff was like oh damn like I didn't predict it, but like my research was right in that aspect. And so that was the other moment where it was like, there's actually real stuff behind this instead of just these digital, almost digital ideas. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what it felt like when I first got into it. Like this has real innovation, real developers behind it and has real potential use cases.
3: You started talking about Bitcoin and Ethereum and that kind of led into my next question for you. Do you feel like you're more bullish on Bitcoin or Ethereum, first off?
0: Yeah, I go back and forth. They're both my babies, so like they always get pinned against each other. I'm more bullish Bitcoin, but it's also because, again, from the blackjack perspective, I never look to like maximize my growth. When you tend to try and maximize your returns, I mean, what happens is your volatility tends to go up. And it's a study, it's called the Kelly Criterion, that if you actually shoot for like 75% maximum return, you decrease your volatility if the variables are known by 50%. So always having that framework, like I'm more bullish Bitcoin, right? For me, it is just, you know, simple mathematics to a certain Mm -hmm. extent, right? Is a limited supply? Limited supply, I tell some people like, hey, straight math, like, is it worth buying now? The question I ask is like, do you believe Bitcoin is a $2 trillion asset? I personally believe for a number of reasons, and I can explain it, but I walk them through why I believe it. If you believe it's a $200 trillion asset, well, $2 trillion divided by $21 million is like $95,400 and some change. That would be, quote unquote, the intrinsic value of Bitcoin at that price. So if you're buying right now, Like, would you be happy if you doubled your money in an investment? If you believe it's going to $2 trillion, that means you will double your money if people say yes, okay, that's a buy. So Bitcoin for me is simple mathematics and it's optimized to survive, has a network effect. And I do think there is, while there are other coins that try and replicate the scarcity, I think I'm a firm believer you can really only have cap supply or true scarcity once with Mm -hmm. Bitcoin being the first mover. Now, Ethereum, it is like, I'm sure you heard like the App Store, right? It it powers a lot of innovation within the space, the DeFi space sector as well. The hesitation I have with Ethereum is while I am super bullish, there is that small part of me that's in cryptocurrency for kind of the ethos of it, like Mm -hmm. being truly decentralized they Changed their monetary policy about four times now, and Didn't R-
3: they just roll out EIP 15590. Nah. Yeah,
0: yeah, which I think will be super bullish for it. But I also think there's the other side of it where it's like, okay, if I need 32 Ethereum to be a validator, right, or to basically have a vote as to what happens to Ethereum, like how many people could practically afford 32 Ethereum mm-hmm. unless they've already been in it? So it's one of those things it's like, well, we're kind of pricing just,
2: people out type shit.
0: Yeah. It's not even pricing people out. It's just the people who get to decide on the governance are the people with the most early money. adopters, early adopters, or just people with the elites with the most money, mm-hmm. which isn't really too different than what our financial system is now. Yeah. So that's why it's a really tough question, but I'm most bullish. I would say Bitcoin, although I'm the first to admit you know, it almost feels like a 50 50 coin flip where Ethereum could outperform it from it being denominated in US dollars perspective if you're just trying to grow your money or your portfolio.
4: When something happens to your kitchen, you might say,
1: This is ludicrous.
4: But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't
0: panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a
4: claim on the app or call us.
3: Thanks, Mr. Chris.
4: No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.
3: Appreciate you sharing that. I often think about that with Ethereum, too. The implementation, I listen to Bitcoin and them a lot, too, uh, talking about that. like The proof of stake system does have that one huge flaw in it. It's like, yo, if I got the most money, I got the most say basically. Whereas it's like Bitcoin is like, I mean, technically, yeah, you need money to start a mining operation so you can have like one of those nodes, but it's like, it's still at the very least, it's
2: not like you're concentrating power based on how much money mm-hmm. people have.
0: Exactly, exactly, exactly. I'm the same page. <laughs> mm.
2: So do you keep up with like the NFTs
0: and everything as well? Yeah, I keep up with them. It's funny. I actually bought my first one, like literally today. <laughs> What'd you Just, buy? I had bought a couple Spider-Man NFTs. So there's this cheap coin that I stumbled across. And so I mainly trade Bitcoin, Ethereum, or don't even trade it. I'm long-term Bitcoin, Ethereum. And then I have like a, a tradable portfolio. Within that, I approach altcoins or any other coins from like a venture perspective, right? Like do you have a white paper? If you don't, I'm not even paying attention to you. It's Just like a, a simple thing to save me time, right? Mm-hmm. I go into the team behind it, go into the partnerships, the tokenomics, a variety of factors. The reason I got into this one was there's this coin, it's called Ecomi, ticker's OMI, and it has this platform called Vivi, but their partnerships, they're trying to do NFTs, but they're like licensing agreements. Are crazy. So they have licensing agreements with Marvel, DC Comics, uh, leave the NFLPA, looking to close Pokemon. Oh, shit. Just a whole bunch of stuff that, in this, you know, the thing about NFTs for me, it's been hard to, like, I get why the technology of it is important, right? Mm -hmm. I just think the current market of it right now is like, it's frothy, it's super Mm -hmm. underutilizing. I think the technology, right? Because NFTs is just a way to basically store information mm-hmm. and attach real value to digital or real assets that can be exchanged, right? And so when you think about that, could your property or your deed, the house you live in, could that be NFT then? Could that be exchanged that way? Far off from that, but that's like a practical thing that could happen with this technology. Yeah. And you can do it across space and time, right? It's not just I'm in Maryland, I have a house in Maryland, I'm interacting with people in Maryland. I could sell this to someone in Japan if I really wanted to. And so, you
3: don't even need all the people in
0: between real estate players. brokers, all that, all that stuff, that quote unquote cost of trust. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the government that we pay for those third parties. And so, basically, Akami or a Omi, super cheap, you know, less than a penny. But their platform has such good licensing agreements that I know people will, there's enough attention on NFTs that people want that first Superman NFT. People want that first Spider-Man NFT. I
2: need that Iron Man.
0: Yeah. They're having Marvel Month this month where they're doing America, I believe next week and then two other. And you say it's only like a penny or less? Penny or less. Yeah. i So going to have to
2: get that from you. I'm going to have to get that from you. There.
0: Yeah, so I invest in that coin, but mm-hmm. today I did, you know, capitulate and I was like, you know what? I'm tired of, you know, I'm like the old grandpa, I move slow. I'm like, man, the NFT market is frothy, but people making money. So, you know, I'm like, I look at it as, because I have a little crypto community and then I also, like I, for my family, brother, mother, aunts, cousins, like, I'm kind of the leader for the crypto space. So, a lot of things I do, I don't want to say I experiment with, but like I'm usually the first one in the door trying something to see, like, okay, can we implement this into our portfolios? How would this make sense, et cetera? So, that's why I folded and bought a couple today. So, so
3: Chad, whenever you buy NFTs for someone that's listening, do you have to buy it in that coin?
0: It depends on the platform. So most people know like OpenSea or Rarible. So you're using Ethereum, right? Mm -hmm. On the VV platform, I think you use, I use Ethereum as well. The native currencies, it really depends on the tokenomics, how they plan to use it. So it's hard to say 100% because there are some NFT platforms where like you have to use whatever that coin is. Mm -hmm. So typically you have to use a stable coin or Ethereum or Bitcoin, to transact or convert to that currency and then be able to buy the NFT. So it's a case by case basis.
3: I got you. So I do have a question. Maybe you could clear this up for me, right? ERC-20 tokens, right? Mm -hmm. So ERC-20 tokens, these are the Ethereum token that like, that's basically somebody building a different
0: coin off of Ethereum, right? right? Yes, Ethereum is the base layer Mm -hmm. that they use and they're building a token on top of that base layer.
3: Okay, so technically, all these coins are a lot of the altcoins that we see are built off of Ethereum, right? Yes, got you. Yeah. Okay, I did have another question for you too, related to the platforms you use to purchase crypto. What is your preferred platform to purchase crypto? And we can go like the hosted versus
0: unhosted, whatever, whichever yeah. one you prefer. Yeah. So, not your keys, not your cheese. Cold storage <laughs> wallet is. The predominant thing I use, I wanted to get that out the way. Say cold storage wallet? Yeah, cold storage wallets. I don't think that's for everybody out the gate, but I think it's an assurance worth getting out the gate until you're ready to actually use it because it does take a lot of responsibility to be your own bank or, you know, have your money in that mattress, you know, in a real world analogy. Mm -hmm. Always say cold storage wallet. That's where allegedly most of my money is. Allegedly. Yeah, you got to be careful. <laughs> then I would say regulated US exchanges, right? And I know those have a handful of issues. I know the fees are worse there, but I tell people and a lot of my clients who are more high net worth individuals my focus is security and taxes. And even though you can find decentralized exchanges, I'm a big proponent on like because nothing's FDIC insured, what is the least likely platform for me to lose my money? Right. And so I do use, I have pretty much all the exchanges. I use Coinbase Pro for a portion of my tradable portfolio. For a time I was using BlockFi for the interest. My favorite offshore account is FTX. I mentioned the FTT coin Mm -hmm. offline. That's like, that is by far my favorite exchange, personally. FTX is going crazy. That yeah, Sam Bankman
3: free dude, yeah. like a little while ago, he told Goldman he's trying to buy him or something like that.
0: Listen, I'm a quick little two-minute spiel. So <laughs> FTT, the one I told you about, <laughs> FTT is the exchange token of the FTX platform, crypto derivatives and all that. This Sam dude, right, and I'm a big, sometimes narrative-driven investor. If you got good partnerships i might be there with you just a couple of the things he's done he's the second largest donor to the biden campaign he got the ftx naming rights to the miami heat arena yes. for the next 19 years ftx is the only crypto sponsor of the mlb the umpires mm-hmm. actually wear ftx on their like a month and uh, a half ago. May, right they just did a seven-year deal with League of Legends. I'm not a big gamer, but that's like the second, I guess, biggest... I heard
2: Online game? game. Yeah, yeah, online mobile game.
0: Online mobile game. They signed Tom Brady and Giselle. What? Sam is also, I guess was, was also the CEO of Blockfolio, which just like FTX just basically didn't actually buy them out because he owned them all. They just merged and it's now FTX. Blockfolio... Signed Trevor Lawrence, number one draft pick endorsement deal. Blockfolio is also a partner with Barstool Sports, right? Which, whatever you feel about them, a media conglomerate in their own right. Barstool Sports, again, and this is how life comes full circle, I guess. Partners with or owned by Penn National Gaming. Penn National Gaming. Is a company that has a bunch of small to medium sized casinos around the country. But also, when you talk about online gambling getting bigger and more states taking it on, well, what's the issue with online gambling if you're a person who does it? And the traditional finance system, right? Which you could argue is maybe a good thing. If I run out of money and I still want to gamble, I have to wait for my bank to get it to me, I have to wait for things to settle. There's a lot of Quote, unquote, wasted time.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, if you're using cryptocurrency, it settles immediately. Mm-hmm. And so just even all around these casinos, they could put FTX right in there. Just all the relationships he's made, all the partnerships he's made. And then when you actually go on that app, what do you see? You see Bitcoin, you see Ethereum, and you see FTT. So then you get into a lot of my quote unquote trading is based off of like, for lack of a better term, behavioral economics, right? If I'm a new user, I'm coming to FTX because I saw it at a baseball game or I saw it at the Miami Heat arena. I look and I see Bitcoin, it's $44,000. Like not many people are buying that because one, not many people know you can buy Satoshi's and two, if people were buying that, Amazon would be way more, a way higher price than it was. You see, Ethereum's $3,000. That's still expensive. But you see, FTT right now is like $41, $42. Well, I also, if I'm using this platform, I don't have to pay any fees. If I stake a certain amount of FTT, I get all these incentives if I have it. Well, let me buy some of that. So it's been one of those things where it's like, Trust me, when I get into an investment, I'm the first person looking for reasons for it not to work out. And it's been one of the just checks all the boxes as far as, you know, when you're looking at a coin, you're talking about Sam, great team, right? Great leadership. When I'm investing in FTT, I'm also investing in Sam and that team. And, you know, I know that way longer than two minutes, but that is probably my third favorite coin.
2: I'm... Happy that you went on that kind of little monologue because it's a great way to kind of look at crypto the same way you kind of look at a traditional company as Mm -hmm. well, because a lot of people don't understand, like you said, it does depend on who's the CEO, who's the team behind this. If you're looking at the same thing with a great company, you want to know who's the CEO, who's this person, what do they do, what is their project about, how are they actually making this impact? So I'm glad that you broke that down because a lot of people, and we all know, like, Two, three months ago, the craze like it was crazy. Uh, you had dogs no going to the moon, you had <laughs> every not even just doge, like you had so many altcoins being brought up, so Shiba. much, yeah, like safe move, all bro, of this crazy, bro, shit. Made,
3: you know, the craziest thing they made baby doge and that bitch started pumping. I was like, uh-huh. yeah.
2: Exactly. But like the way you just said it, if I just saw a whole bunch of companies popping up mm-hmm. and it's an IPO every week. But I don't know what the fuck these people doing. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. What the what do you sell, sir? What type of service do you provide? How many tokens you got in circulation right now? Right? If I don't so, know none of that, why would I invest in it? So I'm glad that you brought it up because you can look at this. You can compare crypto the same way that, you know, you can compare a stock. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought up that I, Satoshi too.
3: I, I kind of wanted to ask like, before we go into the sets some of those things that you would recommend somebody who's just getting started out to look into before they invest in a coin?
0: Yeah. So I'm going to answer that. i says one point. A big part of why I got into it and why I think it's interesting to people is financial inclusion, right? Blessed with a brother in the NFL, I've had opportunities and access to private equity deals. And I've been able to see that like, oh, by the time something gets to the stock market, it's been mm-hmm. ran through made. 10 times, right? The money's already really been made on it, right? But what's that barrier to entry? It has, it's being an accredited investor, which a lot of times is just like if you have money, right? Which a lot of our people do not have, where in crypto, you have that opportunity to do it, but you need to have the right framework for getting into it. So the first thing I do is white paper, and it's not even me necessarily reading it. It's just more so like, if you don't have a white paper, it's almost become the standard of the market. I look at it as like, you just put this together. It's not hard to make an ERC 20 token. You can probably make one in an hour, right? If you don't have a white paper, I know you just didn't, you didn't you in that time. Yeah. So that can eliminate by itself 8,000 coins that I just don't even need to look at, right? Cause it is in the venture space, you might see 500 companies a year, 1,000 companies a year, and you might only pick four of them, right? But you have a whole team. I'm one person. So I got to be able to sift through it quickly, especially you get in the space, people will just send you coins, right? <laughs> so the white papers first, then it's the tokenomics, right? Like, I think it was SafeMoon, right?
5: Mm-hmm.
0: First time I heard about it was in this investment group. Oh, it's going to seven to $10, Look at the, how many coins are in the supply. I think at the time it was like 616 trillion. I was like, funny thing is I did trade it because I was like, if people believe this, I can make money off that. You can make money off people's ignorance. That's the moral dilemma you get with trading, but it is what it is. The tokenomics, the team, right? I tend to like a team, and this is not with every single case, but most time a team pre-2017, pre like the ICO craze, That's just something I look for. Is there like a burn rate, right? Is it a fixed supply? Is it an unlimited supply? That's just a quick thing I can look at and figure out. The incentives, right? So like a coin like Decentraland I got in real early with, it was like, okay, the people who are behind it, the way their tokenomics is set up, their incentive to increase the price because they don't get paid out into 2025. So like if it fails, all the work they put in, they don't get anything, but all the moves they're making, it's like, oh, you're trying to push this price up so you can make money, which is nothing wrong with it, but it's like, okay, I can ride that wave for a certain extent. Then if it has like a yellow page, that's always nice. I do check GitHub or GitHub to see the development. And then the last thing, again, being narrative-driven, are people talking about it, right? Not in like a dogecoin to the moon perspective but like is there a community behind it do they have a discord do they have a roadmap for how they're going to reach get to the next exchange or or get more exposure what's their end goal so it's a checklist that i go through but the main one that i tell people always is like no white paper save your time right there can be successful ones that don't have it but like what's the likelihood we're not hearing about safe mood anymore. We're not hearing oh, about what Shiba Inu anymore. We're not hearing shit. Yeah. <laughs> so I saw an interesting thing that, like, out of the 11,000 coins, only 54, and I believe including Bitcoin, have so far gone past their 2018 all time highs. So that's like a 0.5% chance. There's a bunch of altcoins that all look great at one point or another that people are just still underwater on. Mm-hmm. Because you know, we as I'm sure you guys know 98%, 90% will fail.
2: That's crazy. That's crazy. I got one more question. Do you you look into Solana? Is yeah. Solana coin?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Solana's been paid well. It feels like uh some moments sometimes feels like a better Ethereum. Those like Ethereum killer ones, the Cardanos, mm-hmm. the Solanas, those are like the interesting ones that i ping pong. Back and forth against, but again, Solana is. I look at it partially as like a bet on Sam sometimes, um, with what he's doing over there. But
2: I ended up finding it out too that is kind of a part of that FTX community, too.
0: Yes, yeah, Solana Serum. So, Serum's is uh Serum since under Solana, right? I definitely researched it. I, I don't want to give misinformation, but it's like a decentralized, I think it is a decentralized exchange but I'll have to look that back up. But Solana is basically what it does, what Ethereum does, right? Mm-hmm. It's just supposed to be a little faster or something? A little faster, but I think the faster conversation is like, I think is very nuanced. Like A lot of times, the faster you are, you give up security. Mm-hmm. But even beyond that, it's like, sometimes like the faster stuff that we look for is like, A regular retail, everyday person's not going to notice the difference. But what I do like is that it is kind of riding that Ethereum tailwind. And I'm very bullish Ethereum right now, especially with EIP, 1559. And so Solano, I do have a bag of that for sure.
2: That's a bag. That's a bag.
3: Chad, I got one last thing for you before we uh, start getting into the the last thing. I wanted to give you your flowers because... You're taking all this knowledge that you gained. You mentioned your brother, Brandon, a few times. Shout out to Brandon. He's been a guest on the podcast. Oh, yeah. And you're taking this knowledge and you're not only helping your family, but you're also helping other NFL players get into this crypto space. So can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't
0: even say I helping too much. I think it's one of those things that one players around the league are getting involved. Everyone has I don't want to say everyone, but there's a difference between awareness and adoption right? Mm-hmm. Crypto has been adopted a lot, but like the awareness is off the chart, right? Over the last couple of years. And I want to say not the issue, but a problem I think some NFL players are coming across or professional athletes is that institutions are slower to adopt things, right? You know, JP Morgan just talked about doing a Bitcoin fund a couple of days ago, right? They've known about it, but like, they're just slow to adopt. And so mm-hmm. when these players sometimes go to the financial advisors and want to get exposure to crypto, those tools or those mechanisms aren't really there, right? Based off what the financial advisor is supposed to do, right? Can a financial advisor actually suggest 100% to put cryptocurrency in your portfolio right now? It's debatable. What I try and get players to do, and it's very simple, is like I want them to understand that they can't do what I do or a regular person does because, right, me and my brother, same portfolio, we're doing the same things. He's taxed at 50% if he does a short-term trade. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, But the bag
4: did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
0: Right. So out the gate, he almost has to be twice as better as a trader than I am to reach the same amount of money. Mm -hmm. But he also has way less time to pay attention to it. Six months out of the year, he can't pay attention to it because he's playing football. So the first thing I try to get him to understand is like, your best bet is holding whatever you buy, holding it for a year, right? Because if you're making over, I think it's like 444,000 and some change, you only tax at 20% versus 50%. The other part of it is, okay, you could also look at it this way. You might not want to sell until after you retire, because after you retire, if you can, right? after you retire, what's the likelihood of you making $1,800,000, $10 million a year? I hope the best for every single player, but the likelihood is small. So, okay, you can wait to sell then in order... To lower that tax burden. Having those two frameworks of security and taxes, that really eliminates a lot of the coins that they can play in, right? It's like, what coins can we confidently say, and nothing's a given at this point, but what coins can we say with some confidence is going to be here four to five years down the line? Bitcoin and, Ethereum. Bitcoin and Ethereum will be here. So a lot of it is just like, okay, Dogecoin, it's cool to trade. But like you trading doesn't really make sense for like your situation. Everything is what I tell them. is like situational football, right? Like you have one play on first down, you play it a certain way. You might have that same play call on third down, but you play it a completely different way. Situational finances, like our regular folks, the situation isn't your situation. So we're doing, doesn't make sense for you. So that's what I try and do is just answer their questions where they have them. Tapping with them before training camp, make sure their money is in the right place and just provide encouragement and insight as the market goes. Anytime they want to just check in on things.
2: Man, appreciate you for sharing that. Appreciate you for helping them understand all of that stuff, too. Just That's because, crucial, even, yeah, even that tax part is like the biggest thing. Like you can't do this stuff because they go hit your ass, man.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they definitely will. And you see it every time during tax time. The people who have to sell their coins to pay their tax obligation, and then they create another taxable event that they're going to have to pay taxes on Whew. the following year. it's so. a terrible cycle right there. Ooh.
2: God, man. Uh, Yeah, it is terrible. But nonetheless,
3: I still appreciate you educating because like, one of the things you said in there, a lot of our people that are in those positions who could be able to take advantage of these coins, because I still feel like we're still pretty early in everything, right? They can hop in early and see the mass benefits still versus like, waiting until the banks and everybody finally get hip and they get their thumb on top of it, and then they'll start letting them invest in it through ETFs and stuff like that instead of just owning the asset. 100%.
2: And even like you said, if you believe Bitcoin is a $2 trillion asset, sitting at 40-something right now, just saying.
3: Like, why would I pay y'all fees to manage something that I can own.
0: Hey, I never even said it to him like that way. I never said it to him like that. I
3: always think about it like that. It always comes back to that responsibility piece. Like you said, you are putting a lot of responsibility on yourself. You own your own crypto. I've shared it before on the podcast. I lost some crypto, man. Using one of those decentralized wallets. I had Exodus wallet. One day I just logged in on my computer and all my crypto was going out of the wallet. And I was like, well, damn, (laughs) what happened? Like, I ain't seen nobody.
0: So yeah, it's definitely a risk associated with it. That's why that cold storage, like you said, is the best. Yeah, yeah. If you can handle it and you know what you're doing, because I think some people don't know. The thing about cold storage is people don't know how to actually store their passwords. And the other thing quiet is kept is like having a legacy plan. So like I have cold storage, but if I don't communicate it, for I don't know kids right now, if I don't communicate that with a significant other, my brother, my mother, if something happens to me, Well, all that is gone, right? So it is one of those things where I just tell people to get it first, but you don't have to rush to put it on there, do the research, figure out the best way to actually protect your money. And the trust. Using that, that, so. The crypto trust.
2: Yeah, yeah, that'll be hard, a crypto trust, man. (laughs) yeah i gotta see if we can do that shit i'm gonna have to talk to lily <laughs> I,
3: was, I was hearing about some other stuff on a different podcast but chad bro i want to say thank you so much for coming on this podcast it has been super informative and a great conversation I can you, you. I appreciate you man can you please let our people know where they can follow you if they want to learn more or tap in with you i know you mentioned you have some clients uh your services if they would like to can you just plug yourself and let them know everything
0: Yeah, the best way to reach me is probably Instagram. It's underscore C-C-O-P-E underscore. If not, shameless plug, Financial Literacy Platform Life 101 is my brother's pen class. So available to the public at an affordable price for those who look for a nice foundation, basic tools of financial literacy. It's a great resource. And I always, you know, before I do a coaching session or anything like that, I always tell people, like, go there first. I don't get paid from that, but go there first until you really feel that you have a basics down. And then if you want to get your feet wet and crypto, you can reach out to me. It's the Black Bitcoin Billionaires. There's a bunch of resources out there and people willing to get you tapped into this ecosystem, the Black Wealth Renaissance, of course, as well. So, I appreciate y'all
2: having me I hey, appreciate you for coming on And just sharing your knowledge My brother
0: Sir yeah This has definitely been great So
3: Before we hop out of here y'all Gonna hop into a couple mm-hmm. House cleaning items As usual Thank you to everyone For listening to the Black Wolf in the Songs podcast If you enjoyed this episode Or any other Make
2: sure you leave that Five star review you For you boys Smash um, that subscribe button Yes sir Yeah Y'all make sure y'all share it with y'all family And friends Mm-hmm. Other than
3: that, y'all can join BWR Academy, our private personal finance education community, where we have weekly classes from industry leading experts, accountability calls, budgeting calls, and really just building all our community that's helping us reach our goals financially. You can do that by clicking the link in the show notes or simply going to bwracademy.com. Other than that, Jalen, I got anything, my brothers?
2: Nah, man, you pretty much covered. Yeah, y'all join BWR Academy. Y'all make sure y'all go check out some of our previous episodes if this is your first time listening to us, just so you can go see some of the other things that we got tapping in. And y'all make sure y'all purchase some of our digital products too. If you don't want to join the Academy, we have a lot of other educational resources to help you get started on your personal finance journey. We have our book, Manage Your Money Like the 1%. It can be purchased on Amazon or you can download the ebook. We also have our course. It's only $37. Intro into personal finance. Help you get started to understand where you're at. You can get our budgeting spreadsheet, only $2, where you can start tracking your budget so you can start understanding what's going on. So y'all tap into all of those things. We got something for everybody. We got something to get. Yeah, whatever you phase you in, we're trying to help you get started. That's our whole goal and our whole mission over here.
3: Yes, sir. And. The last thing I did want to do, we do have a new review. I'm not sure if we mentioned that on the last. We got a new review from Devin LT. Shout out to you, Devin LT. Great podcast, much needed. Love the podcast. Started with one episode and now almost done with season three. Keep up the good work, fellas. P.S. That new intro song is hard. I have to listen to it every morning. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate and you, Devin. Shout out to our boy Zim. Zim Millie, album on the way. Yeah. And shout out to Devin. Yes, y'all. Y'all make sure y'all leave those rating and reviews. We'll get y'all a shout out on the pod. And until next time, everybody, this is Black Wolf
2: Renaissance signing out. Peace. Peace.
1: I woke up feeling wealthy today. My bank account might not agree, but hey, that shit on the way. Me and my niggas laying brick on top of brick till we straight. If you the type that play the victim, you can't come in my space. You know this game ain't for the weak. It's hard to carry this weight. I keep my balance through the ups and downs. I'm never going to break. You feel the purpose in my spirit when you look in my face. Cause this ain't a second I can waste waste something food on place. Fumbled the bag. I still ain't got that disappointment to shake. So now I'm trying to double up on every dollar I make. Money don't buy you happiness. The show don't take it away. I'm smiling hard as hell. every time I step in the Bank. We can't be making reckless moves, cause it's so much at stake When you got some shit to lose, your decisions gon' change Cause every action got a consequence, consider your ways Hardest thing to do in life is elevate to your pain I can't relate to feeling like your life is stuck in the phase. Giving effort, but results just keep remaining the same Ask the patience with yourself, shit ain't as bad as you claim I seen a homeless nigga smile while he was standing in rain It's all about perspective, and catching blessings and cryptocurrency, been busting, and I'm well invested. She know that if she rap with me, that she gonna stay protected. Cause even when this shit get hectic, I ain't never stressing. I'm leisure. I woke up feeling wealthy today. My bank account might not agree, but, hey, that's shit on the way. Me and my niggas laying brick on top of brick till we straight. If you're the type that play the victim, you can't come in my space. You know this game ain't for the weak. It's hard to carry this weight. I keep my balance through the ups and downs. I'm never going to break. You feel the purpose in my spirit when you look in my face. Because it ain't the second I can waste. some i putting food on place. Meals.
0: Everybody loves McDonald's fries.